This is the woman behind the business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livas. This week on The Woman Behind the Business, building a real estate empire. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livas, and today we've got two real estate bosses gracing us in studio to share their wisdom and strategies to real estate success. LaSalle L. Taylor is a team leader for Taylor Made at Keller Williams Preferred Properties. She leads an award-winning team that has been ranked amongst the top 1% of realtors in the Maryland, D.C. region, grossing over $50 million in home sales to date. The TaylorMade team is licensed to practice in Maryland and Washington, D.C., and have been featured on HGTV's House Hunters, on the DIY Network, Fox 5 D.C., and many other locations. Welcome to the show, LaSalle. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. So... It's been a minute since I've seen you, so I'm elated to have you in studio with me. And on the show, I really haven't talked about like the power of relationships, Mm -hmm. but I feel like this is a great opportunity to kind of talk about that because we used to work together, me, you, Donnell, your husband. Yes. (laughs) And I mean, like, what has been for you about five years? Yes, it's been about five years since you know we left. Right. Yeah. And you know, just knowing that you never know who people are going to like what positions they're going to end up in um what opportunities are going to come your way yeah like in circumstances and all that might change but when you establish real relationships um it's good to be able to like call back on those people and be like hey can you come and do and share so i'm so honored to have you here thank you i'm truly humbled to be here and excited All right, so let's dive into real estate business. All right, so as we mentioned, we used to work together back in the day. Clearly, I am not really, I mean, I do a little dibble and dabbling in real estate, but I'm not in it as deep as you and our our later guests. So talk to me a little bit about why you decided to start um, a business in real estate. The reason my husband and I started a real estate business is because we just wanted to get out of a financial bind. Um, We just had a baby and his formula cost like $30 for an eight ounce bottle and it was just getting ridiculously expensive and we just wanted to find another way to provide to him for him and also to get out of debt. And at the same time we were selling our house and we were impressed with the realtor that was working with us. So I started asking her questions and she was like, why don't you get your license? And that's what happened. I took a 10 day real estate class, passed the test and went over to Keller Williams and you know, it happened. I mean, this business, we did not expect it. We just started real estate just as a way to earn extra income to take care of our family and, you know, pay bills. And somehow, you know, God blessed me with a business that grew every year. And um, that's how I started. So basically, I tell people um, it all started because of formula. Similar <laughs> Similac Alimentium, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, yeah, go check it out at Target. You'll see how expensive it is. So that situation, but you had a full-time job. Donnell had a full-time job. Actually, no. At that time, my husband had left AARP and he was doing the cable business. And when he first started, it was very profitable. But then that's when back in 2011, 2012, the cable companies started slashing their rates for what they would pay their contractors. So my husband went from bringing home about 
you know, two to three thousand dollars on a biweekly basis to now bringing home about five to six hundred on a biweekly basis. And then also because of my son, um, first I had a rough pregnancy and then I had to stay home with him for some time. So I was on short term disability. So my check was cut by, you know, I was only bringing home like 66 percent of what I was originally making. So we had to find a way to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. So and then, you know, of course, my son couldn't be the regular baby and drink regular formula. Like I said, (laughs) he had that expensive formula and things were just piling up, piling up. And we were like, oh, my God, we have to do something. We Mm -hmm. have to get out of this situation. So that's when we made the decision, you know, at the time we were selling our house um, that we needed plan. A, B, and C. <laughs> you needed something. We needed something because cable was not cutting it. And obviously, my job at that time wasn't paying enough for us to cover our monthly bills. Mm-hmm. So plan A was real estate. Because like I said earlier, the woman who was selling our house, we were very impressed with how she was handling the sale. And I just started asking a bunch of questions. She's like, why don't you just get your license and mm-hmm. see what happens? And, and here we are. And here we are today. So when you went through the 10-day course... Mm-hmm. Um, once you left, um, because I know a number of people who have been through this process and they're always like, yo, I thought I would only have to pay this to get my real estate license. And then I'm supposed to be (laughs) like doing something. Uh Um, but then they tell you, you need brochures, you need all your marketing materials, you need flyers, you need business cards, you need posters, you need banners, you need a website. And all of those things come with a price. Yes. So... How do you decide and decipher, especially when you first started, Mm -hmm. and if financially you really didn't have the extra money, what did you do? Um, So you touched upon a point. The real estate class really bamboozled me because I only paid $250 for the class. I was like, oh, my goodness, $250 for a license? I can do this. Mm -hmm. But like you said, when you go to a brokerage, you're then bombarded with the fees that you need to pay to sign up for the brokerage and also to jumpstart your real estate business. So um, what we did, (laughs) oh my goodness, I hope nobody from my old job is listening. (laughs) I can't get in trouble. So what we did was we took advantage of what we were working with. So by that time, I was back to work full time. And um, my husband is very creative. So he actually created flyers for me using Word, Microsoft Word. And I would go to my job and print off those flyers at 7 o'clock in the morning before my boss came in. So by the time he got in, I had a whole stack of flyers under my desk, printed off my gold, my good old company's, you know, copy machine. And then sometimes my husband would come around lunchtime, you know, just to take tag out with me. And I would give it to him so he could take home so I wouldn't get caught with all the right. flyers that I just made at my desk. So, um, so we started off slowly. Um, and then... Using those flyers that were homemade, um, that's what we used to build our business. So since we didn't have the financial ability to purchase, you know, expensive posters and flyers and all that stuff, we just took it step by step and worked with what we had. And as the business grew, that's when, you know, we began to have the money to reinvest in the business and buy those things such as lockboxes, the signs, the brochures, the marketing and all that good stuff. So we just took it slow. We, mm-hmm. we just we just worked with what we had. We didn't jump in and get into a whole bunch of debt, spend a lot of money on the business. And the biggest thing was to promote yourself. I mean, forget the flies and all that stuff. The biggest thing is promoting yourself and the business and the services that you offer to your clients. And that is, you know, to help them buy or sell a home. And so how did you do that? Outside of the homemade flyers, how did you promote LaSalle and TaylorMate team? 
Wow. How did I prove? That's an excellent question. Um, initially, we started with friends. Mm-hmm. So that was our, actually, our first client was my husband's best friend who worked at AARP. Who? Devin. Oh, okay. <laughs> he and his wife were our very first client. So actually, my husband um, convinced him and his wife that they needed to buy a new house. <laughs> So y'all don't just help people buy a house. You let them know it's time for you to buy a house. Exactly. (laughs) Actually, if they're listening, it's time for them to sell that house because they got a ton of money in it. (laughs) So that's how we got started. Um, Since I'm not from here, I had to rely a lot on my husband's friends. So he actually um, helped me as well because he talked to all of his friends and getting his name out there. So like I said, my first client was his best friend. Um, I also promoted myself on LinkedIn and Facebook. Actually, that was my biggest marketing platform, LinkedIn and Facebook. My second client came from LinkedIn. And um, yep, she showed it. And she was a Howard alum. So she said, the reason she chose you all day, you know. (laughs) So she said, that's the main reason why she chose me was because I was a Howard University alum. And from those... And where are you from for our listeners? I know where you're from, but... I'm originally from Port of Spain and Trinidad and Tobago. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that was the biggest thing. And those two clients, since they were so satisfied with my service, they referred two of their friends to me to help them buy houses. Because when I first started, I was working with a lot of buyers and getting them in. And then from all the Facebook posts, I started putting, you know, because I put up pictures of when I closed with mm-hmm. um, Devin and I put up pictures of when I closed with her name is Janice. I put up pictures and, you know, and everybody I came into contact with, I was, you know, you need to buy a house. I was like someone who was on drugs. You need to buy a house. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I know what I'm doing. Let me help you buy a house. And um I mean, just from there, it just spiraled. My name got out there and people started coming to me like and even um, I also did a lot of home buying seminars. Mm -hmm. So because those are free, Mm -hmm. you can get people to come in to learn some information about buying a house. And with those home buying seminars, I had lenders come in as well to talk. So you established these seminars for people to come out to. Okay. Yes. So, um, you know, so that's another way to get people to come in and, you know, build your real estate business by having these free home buying seminars because everyone wants to buy a house and mm-hmm. most people don't know what to do. So this is a great way to provide information because you want to show people that you care and you're genuinely interested in helping them, you know, purchase a home and accomplish that big American dream. So what would you say was like the number one step that you took um, throughout this course of building this this empire of now being representing like the top one percent of realtors in the Maryland DC area, which I commend you for because that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. You know, so that's um, awesome. The biggest thing is telling your friends and family that you're in the business of real estate. Um, one of my coaches when I first started and we were making a little bit of money, <laughs> he told me, "Don't be a secret agent." You know, Mm -hmm. tell everybody that you're a real estate agent. So that's one of the things I definitely had to do. I had to get out there and not be shy and be like, hey, I'm a real estate agent. You know, I can help you buy or sell a house. So that's the biggest thing. Just getting out there, you know, telling your circle of friends, your family, asking them for referral, asking them, you know, do you know anyone who's looking to buy or sell a house? I can help, you know, just telling everybody that you're into real estate because we don't tell people they They don't know. Exactly. Now, from the seller's perspective, what are some different tips that, like, the top three things that you would recommend that they kind of pay attention to when deciding a realtor to work with? 
Um, my first tip is definitely find out if the realtor is a full-time or a part-time real estate agent um, because you would want to work with someone who's full-time because then they can definitely dedicate that. You didn't start off as full-time. I know, but <laughs> hey, I'm full-time now. <laughs> but when I first started, though, I was working with buyers. Right, right. So my first two years in the business, I worked with a lot of buyers. And okay. when I became full-time, that's when I started working with sellers. Okay. Yeah. So um, because selling a house involves a lot of pieces, and you want to make sure that the person you're working with is qualified, you know, to make the pieces of the puzzle fit. Mm-hmm. Um, the second tip I would ask is, you know, make sure you ask them, you know, like how many houses they've sold in the past. Because, you know, selling a home is like financial surgery. And you want to make sure the realtor that you work with has the experience in getting your home sold. Because there's a lot of factors in getting your home sold. Like they need to know, like what the taxes are, what the title fees are. You know, they want to make sure that you're going to get all those numbers up front when mm-hmm. you're selling your home. And how many homes have you sold? Has the TaylorMade team sold? Well, as of, well, I can tell you last month alone, we did $3 million in sales in March. We just found out that we did $3 million in sales. Just in March? Just in March, we did $3 million in sales, yeah. So year to date, we've done about $15 million in sales. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So just in March we did three million. Yeah. So that was about nine to ten units of homes sold. So. That's awesome. Thank you. So we're really excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the last tip I would ask is to definitely ask that agent what is their marketing strategy to get your home sold. Because getting a home sold is more than just putting in the MLS and putting a sign on the yard. Mm-hmm. So you want to know definitely what marketing strategy they're going to use to get your home sold for top dollar. So those are the three biggest tips I would definitely share with someone who's looking to sell a home. And what should what should you expect to hear um, in regards to the marketing strategy? Like, should it be, you know, a multitude of different things? Should it just be like, have you seen that? Um, certain things work better than other items? Um, Yeah, everybody has their own way of selling home, but the person should definitely have some type of step-by-step plan of what they're going to do to get your home. So Mm -hmm. it shouldn't just be, oh, I'm going to put in the MLS and oh, I'm going to put a sign in the yard. Like, what additional are you going to do? Are you going to do Facebook marketing? Are you going to put it on websites? Um, Are you going to reach out to anyone? Are you going to do open houses? Like, what else is there to selling my home? Like, what else are you going to do to get it sold? You know, so um, I think a lot of people make the mistake in not asking those questions. So mm-hmm. when they do hire that real estate agent, sometimes they're very disappointed because what they expected, they're not getting in return. And that's because that question wasn't asked. You know, what are you going to do specifically to get my home sold? What is your strategy? What is your step-by-step marketing plan to get my home sold? Now, what would you say um, separates you from the rest of your peers? Personality. <laughs> Actually, um, what separates us is that we are definitely a husband and wife team. Um, My husband and I work closely together. Um, And also our main mantra is, you know, to get your home sold in the least amount of time for the most amount of money with the least amount of hassle. Mm -hmm. So that's what we say separates us. And also communication. We're big on communication. Um, Our admin who works with us right now, she gives our sellers a daily update on what we're doing to get our home sold. And the feedback we received is that a lot of our clients appreciate that because they like knowing that, okay... This You're doing something. Yeah, this was 
this is what was done today, you mm-hmm. know, to get my home marketed. So we've gotten a lot of positive feedback. And she actually implemented that strategy, which I'm really thankful to her for doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because she said when she first started, she noticed that she would get a lot of calls like, hey, what are you doing? What have you done so far? Mm-hmm. So that's the, something she implemented in our business, you know, by just calling. Being proactive and exactly. reactive. Yes. Exactly. By letting them know, okay, this is what we did today to get your home on the market and get it sold. Now, aside from personality um, and being proactive, um, you mentioned that you and Donnell work closely together. Um, How is that? (laughs) Um, It's actually pretty awesome most days. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the fact that my husband and I, we use each other as springboard for information or guidance or advice. Mm -hmm. Um, my husband comes to me for, you know, certain advice on certain situations he may be in, or I may go to him since he doesn't work with sellers just to get, you know, an outsider looking in like mm-hmm. point of view as to how I should handle a situ- situation. Mm-hmm. So it's really good. Um, one of our challenges is that we have to learn how to separate business from personal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once we go home. So that's something we're working on, that when we get home at 5 o'clock, it's all about family and our son. We're no longer talking about real estate. Um, But otherwise, I'm enjoying this journey with my husband because it's actually nice to have a conversation with my husband about people, and he knows exactly who I'm talking about. Right, right. And he's not just sitting at me, looking at me like, who's that? Right, like, why do I care? Exactly. So that's the best part about it. Okay, so if, I mean, we're we're in spring summer um gearing up for what are some things that people can do to get their home ready to be sold okay the biggest and the number one thing is when i walk into my client's home declutter that is the biggest thing because what people don't understand is that um buyers can't envision their space if there's a whole bunch of their Your stuff, stuff in it <laughs> So that's the number one thing I tell everyone. Declutter. Get your stuff out of here. Um, you know, take down pictures. Take that stuff off the refrigerator. You know, some people have their family photos or those magnets or those school pictures. Mm-hmm. Get rid of all of that because once you sign this paperwork and that house is on the market, it's no longer your house. It's my house and I'm trying to sell <laughs> it for you. So that's the biggest thing. Declutter. Okay. Yeah. Now for you, how do you maintain, you know, the relationship with your husband, like you're with him all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, you got little Donnell, you know, at home. Um, Well, you know, your little one at home. And, you know, how do you find time for LaSalle? Um, My time? Um, So my husband and I are usually home by five, six-ish. And, you know, that's when we pick up our son. And I'm usually doing homework, cooking dinner, and he is in bed by 9.30. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. So at 9.30, he's in bed. And then my husband kind of leaves me alone after 10 o'clock because he knows I just want some me time. Mm -hmm. So I can say my me time is usually between 10 and 11 because I'm in bed by 11 o'clock. And that's when I do, like, read a book or watch, you know, certain TV I should not be watching. (laughs) Guilty pleasure. You know, I text on the phone, I go on Instagram for a little bit, Facebook. So 
I'm really boring when I get off work and I'm done with my son. That's all I really do. <laughs> so talk to me, like you mentioned Instagram. Um, for your business, you mentioned that that's one of the things or one of the platforms mm-hmm. um, that you've really been able to utilize and grow your business. Mm-hmm. What are some different tips that you can share as to how you use social media to promote your business? Okay. So Instagram, I just started doing recently. My platform is really Facebook. Okay. Because... Um, social media challenge. You know, I'm still struggling with Snapchat. <laughs> um, you know, I just really put a post, like I said in the beginning, I'll just post pictures of me going to closing with buyers or sellers because then people can actually see that I'm selling home. Right. And I'm not just writing, hey, I sold a home today. You know, I'm not posting alternative facts. Right, right. <laughs> I'm posting real facts. I'm showing proof. Yeah, I'm showing proof. Um, and I think that has helped. And, um, Especially with some of my closings, I do videos because I have some clients who are really excited about buying or selling a home. And they'll talk a little bit about, you know, how, how I did in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just posting stuff. Um, also, I post a lot of the homes I have for sale on Facebook. But then I don't try to bombard people with homes all day. And then I just post a little bit about me and what's going on in my life. You know, I post about my son. So a couple of days ago, I post a picture of my se- of my son. He's seven now, but when he was like about six months, and I was like, oh my God, he's so cute. <laughs> you know, I shared it. You know, I share moments with my husband. You know, um, I post stuff about me hanging out with my friends because I want them to see that I have a life, that mm-hmm. I'm not just a boring realtor who just... Right. Homes all day. You know, I like to hang out. I like to eat. I like to, you know. So you personalize it. So yes. people, it's an experience that it's not just work, but you're taking them on the journey that is LaSalle. Exactly. That is also just so happens to be yeah. the tailor-made brand. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, is some of our clients have genuinely become our friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the other day, my husband just celebrated his birthday on February 20th. And I had a 80s. 90s party karaoke party where everybody had to dress up at 80s 90s and we invited most of our clients so mm-hmm. you know they get to see us and come in our house and I welcome them to our world so they get to meet our other friends and mm-hmm. stuff so you know when you work with us we feel like you we want you to become part of our family because we're helping you with the biggest you know investment of your life mm-hmm. so we really want to build that trust and rapport and um I was actually surprised that my clients, they really had a good time at the party. Oh, they didn't want to leave. No, they did not want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> it turned into, okay, I, it's time for you to yeah, go. Yeah, it's like, okay, it's three o'clock. I'm tired of y'all singing karaoke. Right, right. <laughs> time to go. Yeah. Now, what are some different tips um, on the financial end um, mm-hmm. that you could potentially share, like, what are you seeing? Are there any trends that you're seeing? Like, are banks lending money um, to really help home buyers get into their new home? Um, the biggest thing that we're seeing now is that the interest rates are still relatively low. I mean, they have gone up a little bit, um, but they're still really good, like four, four and a quarter percent right now. And another tip I like to give buyers is some buyers are like, okay, in the springtime, I'll be ready to buy. And they'll be talking to me like in December. So when they say something, I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Let's get you a financial checkup. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, you know, like how you go to the doctor to get a mm-hmm, checkup and mm-hmm. make sure everything's okay. Let's get a financial checkup. I want you to actually talk to a lender to make sure that there are no credit issues you may not be aware of. There's no income issues, no tax issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been a really great tip um, because some of my clients who 
think they'll be ready in spring, may not be ready in spring after they have that conversation with the lender. Mm -hmm. And what they said, what they liked about that bit of advice that I gave them is that now they know exactly what they need to do to be ready to purchase a home. Because Mm -hmm. after talking to the lender, they may tell them this credit card balance is too high. You need to pay it down to X amount of dollars. Or, you know, the amount of house you thought you could purchase with your salary, that's not the amount of house you can actually purchase. You only can purchase this amount of house. Mm-hmm. So it also gives some, some you know, some people are... Reality, reality check. check. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of a good thing. So that's the biggest tip I tell everyone. Get a financial checkup before you're actually ready to purchase a home because it can that information can really help you out in the long run. And where can they get, like, a financial checkup? Like, is um, there a website or... Um, any lender. Um, okay, just going have, to a lender. Yeah, just talk to a lender. Um, I usually tell my clients if they don't have a lender, I refer them to three of my lenders. Um, we have lenders that we've built great relationships with. So I send them three and let them choose who they want to work with mm-hmm. because, you know, everybody's everyone, different. Everyone's different. So right. They can choose who they want. And they'll have that conversation with them and they'll let them know where they stand financially. Okay, awesome. Well, this has been wonderful. This has been awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So now it's time for our tech break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Brittany Calloway, founder and owner of Top Notch Property Solutions Incorporated and Top Notch Holdings. Stay with us. This week on Tech Talk, we have our dynamic duo in studio again um, that are going to be talking to us about cybersecurity. Uh, Ms. Kiana Gainey of Secure Tech 360 and Ms. Angela Dingle of Ex Hello. And today, ladies, I'm picking the topic. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. Be afraid. <laughs> um, I realized that even for myself, uh, when you hear cybersecurity, you're kind of intimidated by it. You don't quite understand what it is for people who really aren't tech-type people. Um, So if you could just very quickly and clearly just tell us this is what cybersecurity is, I think that it will help clear up um, misunderstandings, misconceptions of it, um, because you hear it thrown around so much. But how many of us really have a clear-cut understanding of cybersecurity? So who wants to tackle that first? I'll let you go first. <laughs> um, Kiana uh, mentioned this earlier today, but it really is, if you, if you think about cybersecurity, think about if you were protecting anything else. Just like in your home, you have locks on your doors, mm-hmm. you have an alarm system that helps you to understand when there's been an intruder or someone is, uh, you know, there might be fire or carbon monoxide. It's just a series of countermeasures or Mm -hmm. tools that you can put in place to protect you and your information, so your identity, your banking information, and your devices, whether that be a mobile device or a laptop computer or a desktop computer. And from a business perspective, then you're protecting the the data and the the, uh, intellectual property that you have in your business. Right. And it's not something to be um, afraid of. It's just, it's a, to me, cybersecurity is really uh, common sense, right? I mean, we, we understand how to secure things that are important to us. So think about that when you're online. Think about that when you're buying IT equipment. Think about that when you're hiring people, because that's a cybersecurity practice, right? You have to make sure people are properly vetted, background checks, making sure there's physical security in place, making sure there's certain things in place to protect yourself and your business. So don't be intimidated by it. Educate yourself, because the more you know, the more you can protect yourself, your business, your assets, and your customers. So it sounds like we should all be more cyber secure and conscious. 
of what we're doing both online um, personally and professionally so thank you ladies for sharing that nice bit of information that was quick and to the point so I think it makes us all a little bit more um, conscious of uh, cybersecurity and less afraid of it because I know a lot of times like people are afraid when they hear cybersecurity it's like oh no what's that it can be intimidating yes yes so thank you for doing that Um, and I'm sure you guys will provide us some awesome information to share on our website yes certainly okay awesome so if you want to learn more about cybersecurity and become more comfortable with it visit us online at wbbtalk.com Welcome back to the Women Behind the Business Talk Show. I'm your host, Angel Livis, and we just wrapped up a conversation with LaSalle L. Taylor, team leader for Taylor Made at Keller Williams Preferred Properties. Now I'm super excited to welcome Brittany Calloway, founder and owner of Top Notch Property Solutions Incorporated and Top Notch Holdings. She's a former special education teacher in Southeast DC. She first got introduced to real estate when aiding her students' families dealings with issues regarding foreclosures and evictions. She quickly learned that she enjoyed real estate and helping people so much that she decided to make it her full-time job. She is now helping families and making six figures flipping properties in five different states. Welcome to the show, Brittany. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Okay, so you started off in education. Yeah. So clearly there's a passion for teaching. Absolutely. (laughs) How did this transition happen? Like, I really want to learn more about, like, listening or hearing these stories about how these children were, you know, were they losing their homes? Were they getting... Yeah, so my very first year, I had a really crazy year as a teacher. So I originally was teaching seventh grade math, and we actually switched halfway through the year of my first year of teaching, and I taught a special education resource room. And it grew from eight kids to 18 kids, all in the same class. It was sixth grade through 10th grade, um, because we were also a building school, so we Mm -hmm. taught in modulars. Um, And that was just my first year of teaching, all ranges of disabilities. So bipolar, schizophrenia, students who are in eighth grade reading on a second grade reading level, you name it, all in the same class. Did you specialize in special ed? I did. Okay, because I I was like, hold up. Yeah, I I was definitely an English major though in college. So I was like, "Mm, (laughs) I don't know what happened with that. Um, But yeah, I was through Teach for America. Okay, okay. So I taught in Southeast DC. Um, And from there, it was really crazy because I was working with a couple families um, in that, you know, very small, intimate. Uh, room um, who were going through housing issues. So um, one family in particular was getting evicted. Um, Another one uh, family was getting a foreclosure on. And one in particular reached out to me and said, hey, you know, um, the IRS has been reaching out to me. I know I paid a tax lien. I really want to make sure that um, this doesn't go into foreclosure. Do you know any resources or anything we can do? We have to really would have to stay in with grandma. We'd have to figure it out. I don't know how to make ends meet. And I was like, well, I do have a resource. Again, I'm just a teacher. I know nothing about real (laughs) estate, but I'm happy to refer to see what could happen. And yeah, one of my girlfriends at a university kind of took on her case pro bono. And it turned out the IRS did make a clerical error. So they had paid the taxes, but they had put it as, um, you know, not paid and was classifying it as a tax lien. And so they almost lost their house because of that error. 
Um, and so it, it got a lot, a lot of spotlight in D.C., especially with local officials. And people started referring more and more people to me saying, well, she helped me with my housing issue. And I was like, again, I'm just a teacher. I was like, <laughs> no idea. Um, but I was like, well, you know, I think it's this is obviously there's so many issues you can tackle within a school system. Right. But I was like, well, this is something that is going to be hurting my kids if they don't have a place to go yeah, and right. could be getting displaced, especially from D.C., especially mm-hmm. in Southeast, which is a, a very hot and interesting market within itself. Um, so, yeah, I was just working with families kind of as an advocate, just mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, if this person's going to buy your house, like, let's just kind of make sure we can negotiate everything that you may need. Mm-hmm. Can they pay for moving costs? Can they pay so you don't have to file for bankruptcy? Can they pay for, um, you know, you to have a, a go through a credit repair program, anything like that? Um, and so it just started being an advocate. And then a partner who was a, a former um, high school friend of mine came up to me and said, you know, you could really be buying these properties yourself and fixing them up and, you know, also helping families at the same time. And I was like, well, you know, I think I could I could, I could try it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so worked at a university under a real estate attorney thinking that was, you know, kind of what I wanted to do. Um, turned out, you know, wanted to go to law school, thought that was the thing, decided not to do that. Um, but then, yeah, quit that job to then do real estate investing full time. So, yeah, and then fast forward three and a half years later, being self-employed, here I am. So it has been a journey. So yeah. throughout that initial um, was there one particular situation? Was it the story that you told us that really converted you and really kind of held you accountable? Like where you realize like, okay, maybe this keeps happening and keeps coming to me because this is what I'm called to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And so it was definitely the majority of just people reaching out to me specifically. And it was so weird because even my girlfriend, she was like, I don't understand why people are reaching out to you and not (laughs) other services. And I was like, I think that they just, these families knew I was dedicated, right? Mm -hmm. I was up in there um, teaching at 7 a.m. I stayed after school. I picked kids up to go to school. I mean, you know, giving people my last dime for food, walking to the corner store. I mean, you name it. So, um, so you, know, you establish yeah, a rapport and all trust. families, mm-hmm. yeah. And so it didn't take, I mean, you know, you'd be surprised within Southeast, it is kind of a really small community. People tell each other a lot of things. So mm-hmm. um, when it got word that, oh, well, she helped me with my real estate housing issues, it was like, let me call so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and you can help them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, again, like, I, I, I know nothing, but I can go ahead and at least be a resource. <laughs> so I was looking up, you know, just um, programs in Southeast, um, credit repair programs, ways for people not to file for bankruptcy. Um, ways for people to stop foreclosures, mm-hmm. right? Short sale negotiators, everything just to kind of be a resource and kind of compile like a little list to do that. Um, but yeah, and so that's kind of what I was seen as, more so the resource to go to for housing needs in that area. So how did you convert yeah. being an advocate to building a business? Yeah, so the first deal that I had where I realized I could have, I quote unquote made money um, without even realizing it was I, w- I showed up to a house um for a family and was like, okay, well, yeah, I'm happy to help you um, negotiate with these people who are developers who were going to go ahead and buy their house anyway. And so they're like, we just kind of want you to sit in. Can you like listen and ask questions? And so I sat there and I was like, okay, um, well, they need to, you know, they need to move. Can you pay for moving costs? Um, what about with the closing costs? What about, you know, um, being able to actually have maybe a, a set aside payment for them to actually start in a new house, just kind of like being mm-hmm. a liaison. It was so funny because I went to the bathroom, took a little break, came back, and this guy pulled me aside and he was like, "Well, what's your wholesale fee for doing this?" And I was like, 
what do you think my wholesale fee should be? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, so I had no idea that that's what he thought I was. And I'm like Googling it like, oh, what's a wholesaler? Who is a wholesaler? <laughs> um, and so it was funny because I ended up splitting that money with the family anyway. Um, but that was a really, you know, interesting time because then, you know, I started to really think about other ways. How is this, you know, what are people doing that's making money in this field of real estate of mm-hmm. developing and understanding what wholesaling is now and rehabbing, being a landlord um, yeah, that kind of all kind of sparked from that. And I was like, wow, there's a way to now also advocate, make sure families are good. Um, yeah, but also in addition to renovating and, you know, um, reselling houses as well. So fast mm-hmm. forward to today. Yeah. And what are you doing? Yeah, so fast forward three and a half years later, um, most of my projects right now um, in D.C. Um, I also do some in Florida. So I have a partner in Jacksonville who we do more so a uh, turnkey operation with. Um, so we get properties ready that we're selling off to international investors. That's been really profitable. Um, and most, but the majority of my business, the bulk is mostly rehab. So mm. out of all the deals I've done, the majority are renovations, um, all single family residential mm-hmm. renovations that I've done. Are you still serving as an advocate for? I do, yeah. And so another way that I get to do that is uh, through a meetup that we have. So uh, we have the second largest real estate investing meetup in the nation. It's www.therealdealmeetup.com. But we teach just free education where we just teach people about real estate investing, how to build your wealth portfolio, how to make sure you get financially ready. So you can go see our realtor girl over here, right? When you're ready to buy a house, right? Just making sure people are financially um, able um, and ready to take themselves to the next level. But more so importantly, how to just leave a legacy, right? I got also what really excited me about real estate and getting to this business was um, just understanding that this was a way to pass on wealth and mm-hmm. leave on a legacy, mm-hmm. right? I think about, you know, houses in my family that have been sold and I'm, you know, constantly trying to buy them back to try and keep them in our family to now pass down to other people. So that is my my niche of wanting to be in this business. So what are the top three things people should be mindful of if they're interested in um, entering into the world of investing? Yeah, in real estate? absolutely. So a couple things. Um, one uh, definitely is what type of investor you want to be. So are you specializing in doing wholesaling? Do you want to do rehabbing? Are you really focused in buy and hold? Um, I ran a really big um, short-term rental property for a really long time in D.C., um, do you want to do, um, be a, it's just so many ways to be a transactional engineer in real estate. So kind of mm-hmm. focusing on your niche versus trying to do everything. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is going to be your space? Um, and then knowing your financial um, backup and, or background and makeup, because that definitely also tailors into what strategy you do. Mm-hmm. Right? You need more money to actually rehab, not so much money if you want to do wholesaling. Um, more, that's just more so for the marketing. So, you know, knowing your financial budget monthly that you're able to put into the business. Um, and then, you know, growing and scaling comes from, you know, really be able to create a team and outsource, right? So for me, um, the book I love and I, you know, I, I read with all my staff too is called The E-Myth, right? And so it's by Michael Gerber. It really ta- teaches on how to be a technician in the business, right? When you first start out, you're doing everything mm-hmm. in the business, right? What does that look like? How do you move up to being a manager where you're now managing the technicians, mm-hmm. right? And then focusing on being then the entrepreneur, right? So how do you really grow and scale the business while everybody else is kind of working and taking place? Taking over that. the business. Yeah, and so I work with a lot of virtual assistants. Um, that's kind of been the core of my team who do a lot of different things for me. Marketing, lead generation, acquisitions, helping me manage projects, especially um, in different states. Um, and that's what's allowed me to really grow and scale um, my business to where I'm at now. Now, we're going to talk about the virtual okay. assistants and the tips in one second, but I do want to go yeah. backwards just a little bit. And 
where did you get your skill set? Because you didn't come from real estate yeah. and they kind of like landed in your lap. And yeah, I know you're probably Googling wholesaler yeah. in the midst of a conversation. But what resources and tools that you go back to and say over and over again, mm-hmm. this is a place that I trust to get valid information about real estate, about investing. Yeah. So actually, it was the meetup that I actually um, am now running. So the, the oh, real okay. meetup. Yeah. So it's not so it's not your group that you founded. I didn't but found now, that group. Right. Okay, so okay, yeah, okay. Now I'm, yeah, I'm a co-partner with it with Charles Blair. Um, so that's one resource. Um, but, you know, I was looking up a lot of stuff on like YouTube, bigger pockets, um, just kind of learning how to do the business. Um, I did get um, help also by being under a mentor mm-hmm. um, where it was a woman, um, which is was awesome to get because in this field, especially in real estate investing, particularly it's mostly a male dominated mm-hmm. industry. Um, and so being the minority of the minority of the minority, right, young, black and a woman, that could be a whole show within itself. Um but, you know, finding a good mentor to also kind of, you know, show me the ropes of how to do real estate investing was what. And I, I worked for her for free 99. Right. I was like, <laughs> girl, like, teach me your ways and I will just work and shadowing your business. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I learned how to do some of the the Thanks. real the real things of the crutch. But my my real niche, too, is also raising funds. Right. That mm-hmm. is what I specialize in. And by being the minority of a minority of minority, a woman with the money controls the deal, right? And so by raising the funds, which I've done now almost at $8.5 million a day in raising private funds, I'm able to, you know, pick what projects I want to do mm-hmm. and control how that works. So I like how is. she said that. The woman behind the money, <laughs> yeah. you control the deal. Yeah, yes. that's real. So, yeah. So, you know, that was my, my niche of raising funds. And that's what's been great about I can, you know, I pick what projects I want to do. And, you know, it, it's also learning that you have two personalities as a, a woman in business and real estate, right? You have your sweet, sensitive, personable side. And then you have your hard hat when you're managing people, right? Because I can't tell you how many times I showed up to jobs and there are men wait looking at me and saying, well, where is the male? Con- like, who's actually writing my check? Who's going to be supervising me? Is it you? Is it, where's the man? Mm-hmm. Right? And there's, that happens all the time yeah. in many facets. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, just having those, those multiple hats to wear. So how do you deal with those situations yeah. when they come about? Because there's sometimes, like, some people can't, they can't handle it, yeah. and it gets so frustrating because it you get it, you do that girl. You're you know <laughs> so irritated yeah, that it's something that mm-hmm. you know it just continues to happen over and over again. Yeah, and I think that for me, um, that's one thing that I, I will say is a strength of mine. You're the is calm out. I am. I have. A, I'm the calm <laughs> within the storm. So I feel like I I have you know partners who I work on with different things who have all different type of personalities. Mm-hmm. Right. You have sensitive. The beat your chest. The the fast to pull the trigger, but doesn't look at the details. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, and just, um, you know, um, playing that part and saying, you know, well, these are what I bring. My, I know my strengths and what I bring to the table. Um, and I also know that, you know, what I'm responsible for. And I also know how to say, like, hey, well, if I'm if I'm controlling the deal in this way, this is how you add value to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Not mm-hmm. thinking that I only have to add value to mm-hmm. you. So, you know, it's really good at establishing my worth and what, you know, what I am worth and what I'm able to do, right? That was huge, um, which kind of carried on for what I do. So let's talk about these virtual assistants. Yeah. Um, I know that you share information and tips about how you utilize virtual assistants to help you build and scale your business. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I believe there's like five tips. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. Um, Oh, one is just essentially like where you actually go to get them. Um, So the 
tip one is just, you know, making sure you you pick it from a, a reputable place. Um, so you can go one of two ways. You can go with a virtual staffing company or you can go with a freelancer site. Um, it helps to go through the freelancer site or at least a company because you want to be careful when bring these people on as independent contractors. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't want them to be seen as employees of your business. So I say go the independent contractor route and just making sure that you are um, using a reputable company, paying through that com- that company site like Upwork or Fiverr, um, because they're going to give you those distributions for you to be able to take to your CPA to mm-hmm. show that they were independent contractor and not necessarily employing your business. Mm-hmm. Um, second is how you actually train them, right? So what does your standard operating procedure look like? How do you build an SOP for your business um, that, you know, duplicates yourself, mm-hmm. right? So you get those type A personalities that want to do everything in the business. <laughs> All of us. <laughs> Right, I get it. Uh, but how do you actually then learn to outsource those things and say, okay, well, as an entrepreneur, I need to be focusing on this mm-hmm. to really grow the business. Therefore, I can't do every little thing. Um, so creating that SOP for marketing, for your QuickBooks, for um, you know lead generation, whatever it is, to really just start to outsource it. But how do you find mm-hmm. a virtual assistant that specializes in, let's say, you know, maybe... I don't know, making your phone calls or doing your marketing. It's actually easier than you think. Yeah. Really? So yeah, if you even just type in Upwork, um, the mm-hmm. website, and you can actually type in um, specific freelancers. Um, and, you know, you can look to see what they specialize in based off of that niche. So mm-hmm. when I had someone do my Facebook ads for trying to um, offload a property, yeah, I went to Upwork and said, okay, I'm going to look um, for a virtual assistant who specializes in Facebook ads talk through them, interview them. You know, I give through a, a set of questions, mm-hmm. obviously, to, and I test them too, um, which is another tip, making sure that they're able to really do what they say that they can do and mm-hmm. if it really customizes to your business. Um, and so by them working in that and actually doing that, um, then I can say, okay, are you ready to hire? Um, so that's, yeah, another way too. And how much mm-hmm. are these virtual assistants? Yeah, they typically? range. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anywhere from, I have people who are at now at $4.50 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I also pay for a project completion. So not all of them are on an hourly scale. Some of them are based on like a pay, pay for performance, right? Mm-hmm. As you complete mm-hmm. a project, project. as mm-hmm. you, yeah, then I go ahead and pay that way. But you can get them as cheap in, in that way. The thing to note, though, is the cheaper you get them, the more training you might have to provide. With a staffing company, it's going to be more like 8 to $12 an hour, but mm-hmm. they may come more trained in marketing, trained in acquisitions, trained in lead generation. So you can do it that way, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know. Sorry. Lots of. <laughs> so I think that was like three or four tips. Is there one yeah, more? For um, yeah. And just making sure um, evaluating and how you actually have them growing your business. I think, I think what's really um, gifted about my situation is I've had VAs who work with me in 2014 who work with me today. Mm-hmm. So having that real, you know, keeping that retention high. So what does that look like in terms of, you know, how do you take somebody and say, this is not a transaction type of relationship? Mm-hmm. How is this a relationship where you can now build and be in my business and work towards doing different things? So Kathy, who's been with me since 2014, when I had my nine to five, um, now manages the other VAs for me, right? Because mm-hmm. she's done everything in that my business, doing. right? <laughs> and it really allows me to, you know, kind of scale and do the entrepreneurial things when I know I have a manager who's managing the technicians in the business. Now, how um, many VAs do you currently have virtual assistants? Yeah, five. So you have five. Mm-hmm. And then you have a former VA managing those five. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. So it's cool to That's have. Awesome. Yeah. So it's a nice little team of people. And you, you know, you get your, I also have interns though that come to mm-hmm. my office every Wednesday and Thursday. I have high school interns who come, which is great because you don't have to necessarily pay for them either. <laughs> um, and, you know, they're doing like cold calling, email marketing, Facebook, social media posting, um, you know, doing just, you know, little stuff throughout the day, throughout the office. But, but it's it good takes to have time interns. to train them. And then I found that a lot of interns, they kind of want to come and tell you, well, this is what I want to do. Right. I get you. Well, you interview them first, right? So you don't want to just pick (laughs) anybody who, yeah, because trust me, if I had, oh, Lord, if I had taken everybody who wants to work in my business, I'd probably be under right now. Right. (laughs) Right. Too much. But no, yeah, definitely um, I interview them. And, you know, um, what's great about it is for me, the training material. So for me, I've already put in video format, right, all the things I need them to do. Mm -hmm. I map out their calendar. So from nine to five, right, I know exactly what they're doing every hour. They have goals for every hour. So I know that I'm getting all my money's worth for that time. Mm -hmm. Well, the interns, not so much, but my VAs especially. Um, You know, so I benchmark those hours just to make sure that they are, you know, on it and accomplishing and producing. Right. So, yeah, when you and you set those expectations and you set the the goals and you incentivize them. Right. Right. So how can you get more money if you essentially hit all the goals for that hour? Right. Mm -hmm. I'm all about it. Um, And then that growth. Right. So you you're doing this now, but I know what you really want to do and things you like to do in the business. So how can we incentivize to getting you in on some of those projects, but still getting what I need done? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That little tease. Yeah. Like, look what you can do. All right. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So one last question before we move into our um, moments from the valley. Um, You wrote a book called REI Automation Blueprint. I um, The A to Z Blueprint. Talk to us a little bit about that book. Yeah. So it really just teaches people how to automate their business with virtual assistants. So, um, you know, kind of starting out with the lead generation, starting out with... um, more so the direct mail marketing campaigns you can get into and what a calendar looks like for a virtual assistant. So I actually show them a, a, a actual sample calendar of what one of my VAs would go through in a typical day with me. Um, and then just the, I have interview questions in there for being able to hire a virtual assistant as well as how you evaluate them. Um, and then samples of my SOP and business so people could, you know, just kind of copy and paste what they want to um, to really grow their. It's really real estate investing specific. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people use it just like I had a chiropractor reach out to me and was like, this was so helpful to be able to just, mm-hmm. you know, um, learn to outsource. Um, and it gives some good tips and tools and apps that you can use to also kind of build that automation within your business. So (laughs) it is time for us to move into our WBB health tip with Dr. Tia Hill. And when we return, we will go right into our moments from the valley. Stay with us. We've come to the Women Behind the Business Health Tips with Dr. Tia Hill. Today, we are going to talk about caregiving and the importance of making sure that you are pouring into yourself so that you can effectively pour into the ones that you are caring for. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Hill. Hello. Thank you for having me. All right. So talk to me about caregiving. Caregiving is one of the trickiest conversations because the average person assumes that we're talking about kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm not today. I'm talking about adults. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us are young, flourishing women who have parents who are aging. Um, and if we have to help take care of them, we too need to understand how and how to take care of ourselves in the midst of that. And I know coming from uh, my former 
uh, place of employment that a lot of times people don't realize it's a full time Mm -hmm. job, right? It is. And it's a lot, in my opinion, harder Mm -hmm. than taking care of a child. It is. Because a child you're, you know, raising and you're teaching, but a grown person, they already set in their ways. And if you the child, don't be surprised what they say. Don't forget, I'm your mama. That (laughs) is true. That is true. And, you know, especially when they go through Alzheimer's and dementia, Mm -hmm. you know, that is another, I don't like to say monster, but monster Mm -hmm. that you see your parent aging in front of you Mm -hmm. and they are actually turning into like a Mm three-year-old or a four-year-old. And so finding good quality care, finding a provider or a assisted living or a nursing facility that you can, that can work with you is a that's very difficult finding quality care where you trust the fees to take care of your aging parent um, making sure that you have the provisions in place to, for long-term care if that needs to be the situation um, and all of those other aspects from medication Medicare Medicaid and what the supplemental insurances do and do not cover and how you do get to have a balance with that because that it, itself is actually two full-time jobs now how can this have an effect on my health you were taking care of someone else and you have a husband and kids so you're taking care of your mother your husband your kids and when are you taking care of you well when if it's just me and my mom well, if it's just you and your mother still, because of the same token, you're providing for her. Mm-hmm. You're making sure all of those bills are taken care of. You're making sure your bills are taken care of and that you have quality staff. If you need to go to a meeting, if you have to stay late at work, you have to make sure that someone is there. So you're always still in a parental mode mm-hmm. of trying to make sure that you have quality coverage for your mother. Awesome. Well, hopefully this has been a blessing to some of our <laughs> listeners. Because, Keep it up. You'll yeah. be doing good. That's today's Woman Behind the Business Health Tip. Thank you, Dr. Tia Hill. And if you want more information, visit us online at wbbtalk.com. Okay, now it's time for Moments from the Valley. This is when you share a valley moment that you didn't think you would overcome, but how you actually overcame that situation. And LaSalle, we're going to start with you. Oh, wow. My moment in the valley actually happened in 2016. Um, So that was the second year my husband and I were working together in real estate. And we had a huge year. We did like, um, I think we did like nine million in real estate sales, which came out to about 250,000 in commission. And the biggest wake up call for me was that Christmas. I'll never forget. My husband was like, okay, well, let's go to Costco and buy a TV. And I'm looking at him like, with what money? <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? We just made 250000 And I was like, yeah, but we only have a couple thousand in our bank account. And he's like, what happened to all the money? And I looked at him, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> um, so that was a big, big, big wake-up call for us in real estate. Because um, the money comes so fast. And if you don't keep track of it, it gets spent. So I didn't realize how much I was spending in marketing and paying an admin and paying all these different, you know, third party vendors, you know, to help us build a business. So what that did for us, that actually put me in panic mode because um, we only had like a couple thousand dollars in our savings account and it was like and we still have mortgages to pay and all that good stuff and a child to take care of 
And I'll never forget that whole month I was depressed. I was crying because I was like, you know, how could I let this happen to us, especially since I'm an accountant? My background is accounting. Um, So it was a blessing in disguise because what that forced me to do after I got out of um, feeling sorry for myself, it forced me to really sit down and take full accountability of our business and really track how we were spending money. And we were spending a lot of money. Like one of the things we were looking like, like we were actually spending about $1,400 to $2,000 a month and just eating out at restaurants. Mm. So, um, so after having that huge wake up call, I'll never forget, I, we really dug in. And then a couple months later, you know, with getting new business and we really like, I think that's when our business really took off because mm-hmm. of that moment, because it was either sink or swim, meaning we we're about to lose our house if we didn't get it in. Um, and once we had, I think 60 days later, my husband and I, we did like, we did a good amount of sales in February. I can't remember how much, but I knew that was the point where we put specific spending patterns in place as to how we're going to allocate the money that we make. And one of the biggest decisions that we made was that we're definitely buying investment properties and we're no longer going on frivolous, expensive vacations. We were no longer eating out as much as we did. So I think, you know, it was a blessing in disguise because had that not happened then, um, we could have been bankrupt and, you know, Mm -hmm. possibly lost our house. So that was our moment in the valley. I mean, right now, don't get me wrong, I still like nice things, but now I'm very conscious of how we spend our money. You know, we just look at things differently. And now we really look at our business as a true real estate business and not just, oh, the money's coming next week when we close. So that was the biggest thing for us. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. All right, you ready? Yeah. Um, yeah, right, so I'm thinking to, which I think every real estate investor who has done the business long enough will go through at some point in time, which is um, having a, a contractor which can make or break your deal, mm-hmm. right? And so um, it was one of the first projects I did out of state. It was in Jersey, and I was like, oh, it's home. You know, it's going to be a really easy in and out type of project. Um, It ended up picking a contractor who came highly recommended by other people. So I didn't feel like I had to vet him as much because other people said great things about him. But realizing very quickly that just because you do really great work in kitchens and baths doesn't mean you can do a full gut rehab. Um, And so with that, um, because we started him with one project, uh, my partner actually picked him up for another project. So he was doing two of ours at the same time. Um, And so realizing then very quickly that this person was not as good as we needed him to be and the work was not good. Um, But by that time, you know, we were already in probably 40 grand that ended up we had we ended up losing that we had to then try and make up for to try and, you know, get the work done. Um, And because he was such a hothead, um, we ended up firing him from the project and had to bring on a new contractor. Um, and so that was the the costly 40 gram mistake. And it's hard because when you have lenders, right, and especially with other people's money, you have to be, you know, on it. Um, and so, you know, luckily we were very responsible in saying, hey, this is where we are on the project, just keeping them updated. Um, but, it, you know, it costs a lot of money to try and replace that person. Um, but fast forward, we got the house done. Um, we were, you know, telling the lenders, hey, this is where we are. Um, and they ended up, you know, relending to us, thank God. But that took a lot of work to actually kind of do. 
Um, but the important lesson I learned from that was one, making sure you vet everybody you do business with because not everybody says that everybody will say that they're great at certain things but that they are not <laughs> and you really got to do your homework and research on people that you do business with um and then secondly just making sure you have really good contracts in place i think what saved us on that was the independent contractor agreement i had wrote with that person um and because that contract was strong you know i'm able to file to take him to court um, and sadly, I get to take him to court on a class action suit because there's three other people that he skipped out on town with, with their money. And one was a, a woman with special needs. And so the total amount between the three of us is over $300,000 that we have a suit on this person. So, um, well, while it ended up being, you know, a project where money was lost um, and we didn't make money on that deal and it took a long time to complete, um, at the same time, it really, you know, motivated me to say, okay, well, I have to definitely be more cautious about who I'm doing business with um, and really make sure that I, you know, lay the, the law of the land on how to really get things done in a timely manner and making sure I'm, I'm having benchmarks that I can really actually say, okay, did you complete this? Great. Give a check mm -hmm. uh, versus trusting so much and being so, so flexible. So, yeah, that was my moment of the valley. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Um, now we're about to wrap, but before we do, would you like to give out your social media handle so people can follow you on social media? Sure. Well, since I am social media challenged, my biggest platform mm -hmm. is Facebook, so I stick to what I know. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Lisa L. Taylor or Taylor May Team Keller Williams. Um, I am on Instagram, TaylorMade Team, Keller Williams, and um, our website is www.taylormadeteamdmv.com. Thank you. Yeah, so my Instagram is the Systems Queen, um, and that's the same for my uh, Twitter as well. Um, and then on Facebook, it's also the Systems Queen, but Brittany Calloway. Um, and then my website for my business is um, www.topnotchpropertysolutions.com for my personal real estate investing business. And then our meetup, of course, is therealdealmeetup.com. All right. That's the show for today. Please be sure to check out past broadcasts on our website, wbbtalk.com, and pick up your copy of the Washington Informer to see the woman behind the business spotlight section tomorrow. And of course, follow us on social media at wbbtalk. A special thank you to our show producer, Cal Murdoch, and our program director, Max Myrick. Until next time, stay blessed.